Hello friends! Welcome to She Wonders Why. I'm Andrea with the Bangs, and I'd like to welcome back returning guest and lord of puns, Benjamin Boyce. In this episode, we are able to discuss Benjamin's specialty of iconoclasm. Now, iconoclasm means the smashing of icons, and it can be found in religion, but it can also be political, and it can also be cultural, and it is all over narratives. So I've been looking to understand meaning and the meaning we derive from narrative. So it was extremely informative for me to have the chance to sit down and discuss this subject with Ben. And we were also able to discuss another really important aspect of narrative, the embodiment of the feminine, particularly how Benjamin channels the feminine into his female characters, uh, despite the fact that he himself is male. So they're pretty deep topics this time, guys, but it was so rewarding. I I really am excited about this chat, and I think you guys are really going to uh, enjoy it as well. So as always, I am super curious as to what you think about this discussion. So please leave me or Benjamin a question or comment. And if you're new to my channel and enjoy this content, please subscribe. Now, without keeping you waiting any longer, here is my chat with Benjamin Boyce. Hello, sir. Here we are. Hello, lady. We can... Yes, madame. I don't know the right comeback. You know, I say sir all the time on Twitter. And um, what do you expect in return? For for women. No, I don't write madam or madame because I feel like it could be construed in a way that's not my intention. So I just say nothing for women. So. Okay, well, what am I supposed to say for women then? (sighs) Well, specifically the woman that is you. When you address me as sir, is it like dude? It's no, it's just like dude. Mi- just Ms. Give... Like MS? Like Ms. Bangs is fine. Oh, okay. Okay, interesting. Ms. Okay. Bangs. But how do you pronounce that? Ms. With a Z. Not with an X. You're not like one of those people. No, I don't Mix. need the X. That's it's okay. not my brand. Some it's people like brand. it. Yeah, it's very branded. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. So, Ben Kenobi... How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. I didn't give you a heads up at all about what we're talking about. And I, I usually, I don't think I've ever done that where I've not told the person what we're talking about, but I, I, I was getting the feeling from you that sometimes you like to just, just go in. I wanted to talk about your, uh, your degree. So I know Okay, I, I know what that you know what it's called, but I don't remember what it's called, but I know it has to do with the breaking of icons. Iconoclasm. So I don't think I pronounced do it. It's icon iconoclasm, iconoclast. Okay, it's iconoclast, iconoclasm, not iconoclast. I guess you can say it either way. Um, but that's the act of breaking icons. So I, I have an image of like a like a baby Jesus and Mary icon okay, that's just yeah. being like smashed. <laughs> like that's yeah. the mental image I get. But can you explain yeah. what that is? Okay. Well, um, I think it. I think it's best understood as a process um, that is involved in what it is to make and consume images. 
And when you make an image, it has a certain amount of value. Um, and that value can be thought of in all these different ways. But like one way that you think about it is that this image serves a purpose, right? And the purpose might be to for decoration. It might be for, uh, let's say, a sign, like so for information to convey a point. Or there's somewhere in between there, between decoration and conveying a point, uh, a point where you get this kind of the symbolic um, representation in the world that people relate to in 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 a sacred way, or you know, or or in in uh, in an emotional way, or in a group way. Like these images come become so powerful that people dance around them, like literally. And they think about them, and that becomes a part of their uh, way of looking at the world. These images become so embedded in their language and in their discourse and in their story that they have an inherent value. And that value can actually start making people do really weird things in relationship to these images. Like they can say that if you touch this image, we will kill you. Or if you uh, if you uh, paint this image, you will get a fine. Or if you uh, destroy or otherwise, uh, if if you don't respect this image, like the image in and of itself has power. People treat it like the idol, as if it has a distinct power mm -hmm. uh, that that that's even higher than the power of the human that believes in it. That belief detaches from an act of giving into into some sort of uh, higher level of, uh, you know, prominence over somebody's entire worldview or the, the way that they, they relate, relate to each other and the world. Anyways, then you have, um, people coming up and, and defying that value in some way. That's where the, the breaking of that relationship of sovereignty that the image has over people or perceived sovereignty that the image has over people. Um, so you can think of it in terms of, uh, like a political meaning, like, uh, where you take the dictator and the you know, Saddam Hussein. When Iraq fell, they, they took that statue right. and there was images of it smashing. And mm -hmm. that had a big symbolic value in the way that the, the Berlin Wall fell down. Yeah. Now, the Berlin Wall is something, a structure that had uh, a physical as well as a cultural significance. Mm -hmm. Even though it was, it was a wall, it had so much cultural value packed into it. Uh, in the relationship of communism to capitalism, the East to the West, all these huge divides that had been governing the way that humanity had been relating to itself mm -hmm. economically, physically, and, and mentally, and, and emotionally, psychologically, with the whole co Cold War, all that stuff. When that wall broke, or when that wall was broken, it was uh, that in and of itself became another image. The image of the wall became this huge cultural image that was a part of a, a narrative of reconciliation and, and change in the world and progress. And I've never heard of the idea of breaking icons before. I, I know I've, I've heard okay. of the Berlin Wall being pulled down, but I never heard yeah. of it in a sort of formalized study. So I just want to know more about it and where, where it falls into yeah. like the sacred and meaning and what it, what it means for people. Yeah.
who okay. engage in such acts. Is it good or is it bad? Is it amoral? It's it's either or. Is what good? The destruction the, yes, of, of, of images or the creation of images? The destruction. Um, the breaking of the image is a certain phase in the life of an image, right? Okay. So if you look at the creation of the image that's at the foundation of Judeo-Christianity, um, in the book of Genesis, there is this, uh, this narrative about this man who goes up this mountain mm -hmm. and he receives these tablets. Um, and the tablets were written by the entity that created everything, mm -hmm. right? And the man comes down the mountain with these words and he looks down at the people that he's bringing this like letter from like the creator of the universe to like, so this really powerful object he's bringing to these people. And these people are all dancing around another object. That's a cow mm -hmm. and it's a golden cow. And that upsets the man who got the super duper like powerful information from the creator of the universe. It, it upsets him so much that he breaks that letter and he has to go all the way back up and get another copy. Right. <laughs> yeah, another you, copy. You, you know that story. Yes, right? I do. Yeah. The 10 comments. So that, that story, and this is, uh, this is one of the first projects that I did at Evergreen was telling this story and, and in under the lens of the icon and the breaking of the icon. And I made the argument that <clears throat> what that symbolized was the transfer of meaning from the image to the abstraction. Like that was the beginning of the word. Like when, when you go all the way to the later part of that book, when in the beginning was the word, that, that is talking about the word of God, but it's also talking about the beginning of the story was that we stopped relating to these images for our sacred meaning. And we started to place that sacred meaning inside of the abstract, right? And if you look at the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, which is the Aleph, yeah, it's actually an ox. Yeah. Right. So you have this beautiful story that, that's showing you the death of, of the image, which is that golden cow. But the process of, of, of transcribing the image, the, the, the sacred from the image, to the abstraction is, is not an easy task. And it broke that, it broke the, there was a break that had to be healed by all these different means. But anyways, what I'm trying to say is that even the word becomes an image. Uh, and by that, I mean that we invest meaning into vessels and the vessel appears to hold the meaning, but it doesn't. We hold the meaning. We're, we're lending the meaning to the vessel, whether it's a word or an icon or an image. And, and the narratives that we tell, like you just said about how a narrative holds meaning for us, is that we are, we are lending meaning in a net because we're creating meaning out of our lives. And the process of breaking the image is actually to free the meaning from that vessel into the person, right? And you even have that image, uh, if I recall correctly, when the son of God comes to the world and he says that, that the old wineskins need to be thrown away because we have new wine. So th that 
the constant state of of reclaiming what we've put into the world um, is, and then we can't just hold that power. We have to put it back into an image, and and we have to recreate a new image, uh, just in order for us to participate in meaning, right? So we, and then and then it becomes stable, and then we have to break it down again. So the breaking of images is a process of of renewing those images, and and that takes pl that in and of itself represents some sort of uh, property of being a conscious being is to is to build those structures and my 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 degree was about what what does what does narrative do in in terms of uh, creating transmitting meaning and and the process of making meaning now this could just be me but I know in the West, we kind of have a a more linear understanding of time. And I know in the East, it's more cyclical. And birth and destruction are a very cyclical thing. But even my question mm -hmm. earlier, looking at the destruction of icons as negative, like that's my first mm -hmm. feeling. Why? Yeah. Why? Why do I have that? Um... Well, that's interesting. Um, it, it's actually, I think, it's smart to be very wary of breaking images because you don't really know what they're there for. Let's say, like, when the West um, let go of its imagistic thinking, and it was the same thing that um, when the Enlightenment happened, we, we transferred our meaning-making capacity from a story into a, a way of being, um, uh, a way of conceiving the world that was uh, detached from story. It, the, it was purged of, of, the, uh, of the image that had, uh, you know, was messy. All that image stuff, all that religion stuff, it's very messy. All those symbols, it's very messy, and it can be taken in all these wrong ways. Actually, there's more ways of abusing that, seemingly, than there is of, like, uh, using that. But, but if, you, if, you, if you think that way, and this is... Uh, really well played out in Nietzsche and, and, um, and his story. Um, when you start to, like he was saying that we, we killed God, we killed this meaning-making structure, and we, now we have to be the gods. We, we've taken away from the structure, from our tradition, from our history. We've broken those images. Um, so what, where, do, where are we now? Those things worked. Religion worked, not in the way that we perceived of it working when we said it, it was nonsense. And uh, but we needed to do that. We needed to say we couldn't live in superstition. We need to be really honest with with the value of things because we want to relate to the world in, in, a, in a way that's true and it's real and it's honest and it's not uh, make believe. It's very uh, verifiable. Right. It's very empirically sound. And insofar as we do that, we're able to actually mess with the world. But when you start messing with like the material world. Right. And you make all these different, uh, you know, uh, gizmos and doodads and processes and industry and all these different things that you need to really have purged of superstition in order for the building not to fall. You can't just trust God. You have to trust the math and you have to know the math, right? In order to pull off, uh, you know, a supply chain or in order to pull off, uh, you know, the process of getting oil out of the world and, and turning it into glasses, you know, you, you have to completely purge yourself of fancy symbolic thinking like the the symbolism of that world is very 
It's very rational. It's very clean. And insofar as, as it's, uh, it, it is, it's testable in the real world of whether or not those things work. Right? Whether glasses are work is a true or false statement. Whether you know the bomb blows up five five miles from here or five feet from here, like uh, and and all the trajectory, all that math, it's very 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 verifiable. But when you start to mess around people's heads, when you start to mess around with culture, you actually have to wait for the reality to play itself out. Right? You're mm-hmm. when you start to run an experiment with how people relate to one another. You have to wait a couple generations to see um, what what is the how are people playing out those ideas, um, and so when when this is a really long way of pretending that I know what's going on in you. I don't really know why you have a negative oh, no, feeling, I, but I'm <laughs> but I can I, I can say it's a smart thing to do because the the symbols that you gain as a Christian let's say, insofar as those uh, symbols hold value to you, hold value to the way that you relate to the world, to other people, to yourself, and to your family, and to God, like, by meaning the whole story. Um, so it's really smart if it's if it's providing you a really nice life. It's really smart uh, to question why you would want to mess around with those things, right? Okay. Okay, how do you know when to mess around with those things? Well, you start small, right? If you want to start experimenting, you have to experiment with yourself. You kind of have to be the mad scientist. You have to invest your belief into your own creations, right? And see how that plays out in your life. If you say, okay, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. Um, but then after a while, you're like, well, I still need something. I need to have some sort of story. There was a story there, and, and I said, I don't want that story anymore. So now there's we're, we're, what, what's going to go in that place. And whether or not you like it, there's an argument that says that you're going to put something in the place of a religion. You're always going to have that, that grand narrative. You, you can't do all the calculations of having a meaningful life without that in the background, some sort of perspective on the world. And if you, if you say that you don't have one, it, you'll just subconsciously build one. You'll build one up. You, you'll, in order to look on the present, you're going to need to relate to a future and to a past and to a here and to there and to everywhere. Everywhere and everything are, are going to just haunt you and you're going to, something's going to fill in that gap. And, and if, if you want to let's say, be very like rational about it, you can construct a rational argument of why you can or cannot know those things. But everybody pretends that they know. Like even the people who say that you can't know like what God is or you can't know everything, like they act like they know everything. They still act that way whether or not they know that way. Or insofar as you act that way, you actually get a lot done. Insofar as you pretend that you know what's going on, like in the large sense, like it... it can fuel your position so that you can get things done or you can make other people do other things for you, right? So that, that narrative has a lot of power that, that, um, okay. So let me, let me do something weird. So that narrative that, that informs you gives you the ground to stand on, um, in, in every given moment and, and people can be really humble. And I think you need to be really humble to say, I don't really know. I don't really know like what happens when I die. I don't really know where I came from. I don't know where everything begins and ends. And I don't need to know. It doesn't matter to me. What? But you, you're going to have something in the present that's going to matter to you then. Like 
justice or beauty or charity or health or, or some, sort of, uh, some sort of good, some sort of value um, that, that you want to fulfill with your life. You, you say, I don't know why my life has meaning, but it does, and I'm going to make it meaningful in the world, right? Um, and you can be really humble about that, but I think that you're. I think that what's kind of happening is that instead of having a belief structure, you have a, a like a, a operating system. You're like, this is how I'm going to act, whether or not I believe anything. The results are I make people happy, um, or um, I, I, I accomplished something really awesome. I built something from the ground up, or I did something in the world. I, I had a family, I had children, I, I, grew, I grew them up and they were good and I taught them what they needed to know and they had good life, um, good, good lives. Th that placing the value in the world um, it doesn't necessarily have to have like a, a grand story going on, but I think it's comfortable when, when you have that, when you just have a belief system, whether or not you, you completely invest all of your belief in it. And you still say, I don't really know, but that, that's still a beautiful thing to me. And you, you have that there. I, I think people just gravitate into wanting to have that story. I think our imaginations need to have that story. And so we're always going to be building one. And there's, there, so, so when you mess around with one, what you're doing is you're saying, I want to believe in this way of thinking or this way of doing or this, this religion or this philosophy or this value system. And, and then you, you see what happens in your, your life and you're like, Oh, I'm happier or I'm sadder. You know, like you're like, um, if, if you're not happy with the story that you're in, you just try out another story. Like, or you can like start breaking the story. You can start messing with it, but like letting it go, throwing it away is another form of breaking from that story. Right? You saying about the idea of the family, aren't those the original narratives? Like the, the that mother what? goddess, the, the, you know, the, the mother child that we're just starting over. If we're going to be find meaning within our, own little lives. Isn't that how all of this well, gave rise to those great narratives in the first place? The, the narratives function. So you can say that you don't believe in them, but people do, right? So the stories, the, the stories that last, that's what I'm trying to say. Okay. Like, so, so if a story has a big impact, it's going to make a big impression. So if you go and look for the beginning of stories, you're going to see whatever people believed enough to actually like put into a form and accidentally or not, they knew that that form would, would live on for ages. Like the mother goddess, if you can say, I don't know where you're getting your information that the family was the first story. I mean, if you're, if you're I just got an image of like those really, really old little statues. Yeah. I'm just thinking like Neolithic, like prehistory. Yeah. 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 We don't know the stories we, we can, I, human beings have been talking much longer than they've been remembering that they've been talking, right? Or longer than they've actually like encoded into a, like a fossil record. Cause most of that was verbal and that stuff, unless you have some sort of super time machine that can like dial back in on the waveforms of the past, you, you're not gonna be able to really see where all the stories first and first came, uh, first, first came from in the very, 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 very beginning. But as so, insofar as we have the stories that have lasted, they are very, very simple stories. Like the oldest stories that we have that were encoded are very simple. They're, they're mythological. They have, uh, you know, like Enkidu and, uh, Gil, the, the Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh um, yeah. story. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really, really old story. There's, there's these mythologies about like, uh, like Inanna, I think, um, there's, there's a, Ishtar, 
um, or Ishtar uh, and her descent down into the underworld, like one of the first goddesses that shows up on, you know, on, on this side of the world, on the West, is this, this uh, that narrative of the female going into the, the belly of the earth and like dying and then like coming back up and like uh, filled with new power and, and completely like on fire, you know, um, which relate, you can see that that relates to the world, but that, that story actually gets retold and retold and retold that, that story, that, that program, that, that plot just reverberates in stories and you can see it pop up over and over and over again. Um, and whether or not that's because that story has some like really deep meaning or it's just a fucking good narrative, right? which means that it really hits us on a deep, deep, deep meaning. I think that you can ascribe it some sort of, um, some sort of really high value if a story can be told over and over and over again. And that's why you, it's so fun to make stories in this day and age, because you can just tell a story, right? You can just like go online and you tell a story and you can see if it, if it works or if it doesn't work, right? And that's what—that's the life of the novelist, the the night, uh, life of the fictionist, the the life of somebody who invests uh, themselves into creating stories. It's like they're just trying to find a good story by putting all these different elements together. And you can look at that and and see that there's a formula there, um, and formula works with a certain set of expectations. But like you can mess with around with all that. Like there's a whole world out there of narrative, like. It's gotten really complex. It hasn't like stayed simple. It's it's uh, perpetuated over and over and over again. We have a whole lot of it, and we keep on creating more. It's a very potent activity that uh, gobbles up all these different narratives and spits them back out. We're always playing with, with the story. So, when when you get to uh, the the time in the world of the current history of the human race where we have all this technology. Um, we're not bound by the stories that are uh, ages and ages and ages uh, old and passed down from from um, one uh, person to another person to another person. We can type something out and everybody all at once sees it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that changes humans' relationship to narrative is radically different than any other time in history. And because it's so active and because it, it's so interactive and because we're actually encoding our lives now through all these all this technology we're laying it all out like like in pictures and videos and and words and our thoughts and we're like we're feeding our personalities into this huge data bank mm -hmm. we don't know what's going to happen with it I, i'm sure somebody's going to invent some fancy little algorithm that goes goes through the internet and resurrects everybody in the future you know just out of our uh, our mimetic you know, code that we all imprint in there. I'm just saying um, that the the narratives. Uh, it it seems like like it, that that's really difficult actually to make a, a kind of a moral story about that. It's really difficult to grow up in that age. It's really difficult for a teenager to um, become a teenager um, or become a self that has a story in a world that's filled with all these stories. Like it's really difficult. Uh, it can be difficult um, to, uh, to find like authenticity through the realm of identity and all these different categories that people have um, put themselves into or find value in. Um, 
whether it's their race or their class or their their political compass or you know like all these different churches uh, you know of the mind all these different ideologies like people really want to be a, a person and tell their story and and have their belief system because it feels good and then they get to be with other people and stuff and so we're we're living in a, a world that you can invent yourself constantly and w when you toy around with that you really have to uh, really pay attention to people who are having a really hard time um, in that world of, of infinite variation because they lose themselves in that or they are incapable of creating a value structure of any sort that allows them to be stable and allows them to, to have happiness and be productive. And, and by productive, I mean specifically to engage with the world in a, in a way that uh, expands you and grows you and, and makes you uh, stronger or happier or um, you know, full of life and full of, uh, you know, meeting your potential, right? Um, yeah. That leads me to wonder, what are the wrong ways of breaking down these um, icons? As you were kind of describing how it's difficult for teenagers, like, to, to yeah. sort of find their way. So you're kind of already going in that direction. So that that's kind of what I, I'm getting, that maybe... Yeah. They're not doing it in the right way or their sources okay. aren't doing it in the right way or yeah. along those lines. Lurking in the shadows of the human psyche is the cultist. Everyone, whether or not you believe or in belief or not, like inside of you is something that really wants to believe really strongly. And you actually um, have to fight against being a fundamentalist and fight being uh, fight uh, against for some people, for some personalities. It's it. It, uh, you can't get away from that or you have to be on the lookout of that constantly because whether like, like this is a trope and I don't mean to offend any atheists out there, but there's an impression that I get from atheist communities that they know everything. And I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I, and I just like, I'm just going to speak about a particular moment where I went on Reddit and I was just reading comments and I lost where I was in Reddit. You know, there's all these different subreddits mm -hmm. and I found myself, I'm like, these, what am, where am I? This is like the most fundamentalist, like diehard, um, uh, convicted, uh, you know, religious theists. Like they were so like, they were just fanatical in their belief in their own agency and their own understanding about everything. I'm like, oh, you're atheist. Like I, the trope of like the religious fundamentalist has escaped from like religion and gone into what it calls itself anti-religion because there's a personality trait in us to act that way. Everybody has that um, desire because stories have a very big pull on us. How's it doing then wrong? It's That's such a hard question to answer because I would have to hear the story being told. Um, you look at behavior, but you have to see an individual as an individual. So right. if you look at, if you start, this is the problem. If you start to study like a social movement that is exhibiting um, you know, antisocial behaviors, right? Such as, let's just say evergreen. Like that was a society, that was a social framework that produced antisocial behavior. And what is that? And and you can see that it's, it's groupthink gone wrong. Like people, put, they all believed in a structure that didn't work out, um, but they all, all believed in it differently together. As as one, right? Like so, to 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 pinpoint when where each individual person went wrong, 
uh, is difficult because you'd have to like explain how the, you just have to look at their story and see how they got swept up into that and their, okay. their responsibility or, or how they slipped in. So the ways to go wrong is really complex because you, like I said, like with, with, a, with like something like communism, like this big structure, it, t it took, it, it's still like people still haven't learned, <laughs> you know, but it, it's been playing out for what, 200 years now? That story, Marxism, I guess 150 years mm. or something like that. And you can see that like, whoa, look at what happens when you act that way. Look at what happens when you act that way. But it took a long time. So, so when an individual goes through that same process, it actually doesn't happen overnight. One person doesn't just like become a fanatic, like, mm -hmm. and not all together. Like at Evergreen, you have this mass madness, which is so fascinating, but impossible to actually pinpoint every individual person's arc. But you can see it, how they did it to themselves with all the footage, right? So you just get this really small piece of everybody acting like that, Stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger, but it's okay. it's not an accurate depiction of that, of how okay. they went wrong. You would really have to look. So it so it's hard to answer that question because I don't know what level we're talking about. Okay, well, well, when Nietzsche says, sorry, Nietzsche says, gotta have a proper pronunciations here. When he says like God is dead and you've killed him, that evokes that sort of you know breaking hmm. of the icons and when yeah. moses through the ten commandments yeah, and was, broke those yeah. that was yeah. also a thing but 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 I, there was a more you gave a more positive perspective on the moses side and a freeing of of the yeah. idea from the object but then you go over to nietzsche and he's like this is what have you done this can go badly <laughs> so how do we know yeah well which yeah. is the good or the problematic? Well, you you look at the products. You you look at okay. So that's what you say. You're like, well, what what does a group think that produces social behavior? <laughs> like, what what let, let's look at instances where groups acted together for the benefit of the entire group. Okay. And they all got along. And, and they even loved each other. They even, okay, not even that. They just had a good time. Or they didn't have a totally bad time. You just, you, you see how, you know, all these different things played out. But the thing is, like, a historical disaster happens or something happens to the outside of it to, to really test that community. So what happened, which is fascinating about telling the Evergreen story or even thinking about the Evergreen story, was that... The, the outside world really informed, it really put a lot of pressure on the inside of the of that institution. So the institution was it was caught in a bubble. It had been brewing like this slime mold in the freaking forest, like disconnected from from everything around it and just getting uh, money and individuals from all over the place and going through this thing. Um, and then it adopted a belief system and then it started enforcing that belief system. And then this political pressure came on and like there was this mass panic when Trump got elected that it just like cooked the whole thing and it just it it went into critical mass like it, that was a very unique experiment like like you you don't want to replicate that on the level of an entire cu culture or if you want to see what happens when you enact it on the level of an entire culture you just go back in history because it's been ha it happened the the chinese revolution what happened in china what and what happened in evergreen have a lot in common like an uncomfortably 
uh, large amount in common in the way that they constructed and then enforced and then uh, and then increased the pressure on on a certain narrative, like really testing it out. Mm. And the opportunity for us now is to really understand, like when you look at, uh, you know, like a particle accelerator, if you want to understand like whatever boson you're looking for, you know, you smash it apart and then you study its entrails, right? Um, that's what we have is to, to kind of study that and to try to learn from that and, and to be really careful what we project into that because it doesn't, uh, to make sense out of that, you're not gonna look at an objective, there's no objective way to evaluate that. There, there's so much morality in there that you have to really tread into telling that story in a narrative frame of mind, of, of talking about individual people acting out. Like, like this wasn't, uh, this wasn't a boson. This was a number of individual people who were a, a wide range of ages. And, you know, like like every level you slice that story, um, you get you get a uh, it, it becomes impossibly complex. So you can't go all the way. You just kind of have to say, OK, they believe this. And then they started doing this with this belief. You kind of have to abstract it. And okay. then this is what the kids did. And then this is what happened afterwards. Like, like you just tell the whole story, right? Um, I, yeah. How do you tell a whole story when it's all individuals put together? How do you tell a whole story? You can't. You have to let it go. You can't. You just have to say, okay, you're going to have to reduce this into a soundbite. And so I'm going to make an argument. So you have to make an argument. Say, okay, this is what this means. Take it or leave it. Or this is what happened. Take it or leave it and design your own story. So a part of my documentary that I hope um, when when I'm finally done with it and I go through and I really clean it up, you know, and I do like that final draft, I hope to one level, the primary level of the documentary is just to show, like just to show what happened. And then I have all my research that'll be all tacked to it. So an, a researcher or somebody who's sufficiently interested can go through and find the data itself. I've, I've done some narrative things to make arguments. I have put arguments in there, um, which I hope I've done in such a way that you can really easily cast those aside and just see what happens. Like I want the stuff in front. Okay. Um, but at the same time, I've done a little playing, you know, because it's fun to make videos and to tell a story, you know, and to like engage the audience and like to confront them with things. All those editing decisions that I'm making, they make a statement there. I'm already making a choice. And insofar as I'm making a choice, I'm, I'm imprinting a narrative on somebody's consciousness so that when they arrive at the end, um, they will have experienced uh a lot of uh, en enough to like build their own story, but like a kind of a definite impression that this is not a good thing. What happened there, we don't want to repeat that. I, I really want to make that clear. I don't think that that should be repeated. Mm -hmm. um, so insofar as I don't want that, I do want to, I do critique and, and you have to, you know, like there, so there is some playfulness, you know, you can't avoid it. So you might as well have fun with it. Um, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to bring in some points that, that you have said throughout this, it sounds like with regards to, what is the actual way you just, what's the actual name of the breaking of the icons? I feel so like ridiculous being like, the breaking Iconic of the icons. Iconoclasm? <laughs> I, like, I like the way you say that. <laughs> I like it, let's do it. The breaking of the icons? Okay. I like that, that's a good one. Okay, okay, the best way, the, the way to do it is to do it on an individual level in our modern To do day. what? 
to break the to icons. like program to to well to rewrite your programming yes your mythological program if we yeah. want because i have okay because i've studied christian history like for for my degree that's what i did and yeah. i see i've seen how ritual and dogma and power along with those things oh, makes yeah. it very rigid and very bad like something you don't want to be part of like something that's like either either unhealthy or icky or something like that yeah, yeah it has a bunch of different products so but it's also how people are impl implementing it how do you make a foolproof myth right how do you make a myth that people can't turn into a weapon you can't i know human well, beings well, are such assholes you... they will use anything in their power or their grasp to be an asshole with. So if you make a powerful narrative, you bet your bottom dollar. It even says that in the Quran. God says to Muhammad that like your words are going to be used in the absolute worst possible way. You understand that? <laughs> um, that might be in a hadith or something like that. Well, you can't build a foolproof iconic uh, uh, mythology. But if you think that you want a mythology, I, I caution respect. I, the the first the first move of building a good story is respect for your sources, and insofar as you respect your sources, you allow yourself to love that. Right? You find what you love in life. You build it on something that you will continually believe in. Right? You want it to be something that will last. Right? Um, and so I think that the, the foundation of anything should be uh, commitment, devotion, and love. Like if you love, if you follow what you love, even if you're disappointed, you'll, you'll find the strength to recreate and, and to follow through on your belief. And, and if you need to revise your belief, love will lead you along the way. What you love, let's just say that, like that, that impulse of, you know, love, you know, just like, Yes, you know, awesome, or like that. Um, so the first, if you want to build a good story, you start with that. One of the things that we can say moralistically that I'm going to venture out and uh, stop being like Mr. Objective and just have an opinion. Um, Please. Evergreen story is not built on love. It's built on the worst fucking moral foundation in the world. <laughs> it's built on... It's built on hatred. I can't believe they did it, but they did it. They built something out of hatred. So ultimately, that's the story. It's like, okay, when you want to go, like, okay, it, it was love and name, right? They want to go and do good works, right? But the way that they related to the value of good was to base it on the bad. They became anti-racists, right? They became anti-oppressionists, right? They, they made a principal error in their belief system, in their value system, was, was to cast it all in the light of, of being better than the world, of, of, of knowing what's right for the world, of, mm. of enforcing the good on the world, of literally policing the good into the world. And the faculty did that first. The faculty ganged up on other faculty before the students did. Mm. It's, it's like that, and, the and, devouring mother kind of, I know what's best and I'm going to make you do the thing. That's what it looks like to me. Is it not? I do think that there's, uh, you, you have to be really careful when you enter into the, I, I want, okay, for like, I'm sorry to do this, but Disclaimer, I, I, I use the female and the male icons with respect. I use them because they're very valuable icons for me. 
and I know that they're not valuable for everybody, but like they're very powerful for me um, because I respect them a lot because they have a lot of value. Like they actually are what I believe human life is built out of male and female. Like this is the fundamental um, uh, mode of creation of the human race is the interaction between male and females. Like this stuff is like the deepest thing in, in to me, like of understanding mm -hmm. the world is to understand that. Um, now, it's very complex, but if you say something like, okay, this is the devouring mother, um, with a grain of salt, I would say that you do have a lot of women without children in, in, in the mix. Like statistically, mm -hmm. a lot of the people who are enacting that policing behavior are women without children. They infantilized a race. They said black people, they were super disrespectful. And they said that, that these people are, are always traumatized and that they need to be believed and that they need to be centered because they, they are so frail and they're so vulnerable. And we are going to, they, they did, there, there was a lot of emotion of, of, of trying to sucker. Um, so there was, I think, uh, because there was a lot of women, there was a lot of women and they're like either childless or, you know, for a number of different reasons, but the, a lot of them are childless and they projected that. I saw, I saw that. So for what that's worth, I do see that operating in certain portions. But when you get to George Bridges, right, this is the weird thing, is that you don't see a man. You don't see a man when you see George Bridges' character tested under that. You see somebody, well, you see a male for sure, but you see somebody completely passive, and catering to everybody in every room mm. and just catering and not, not just, just going along with and telling everybody what they want to know, like not actually making a story, like just, it, it's, it's fascinating. That's not, that's not the, I don't see a devouring mother in that. I see the lack of male agency. Okay. I, I think that proper male agency is there to balance um, the, the way in which the infantilized students yeah. were acting like freaking infants, right? Yeah. They were literally acting like infants and you needed, <laughs> you needed a dad to come in there and, and, and just, and, and say, no, mm. you, you do not do that. That is against the rules. And we, we do not, I, I do not put up with that. And I'm not going to do what you say if you cannot respect me, because if you don't respect me, you don't respect the institution. Mm -hmm. And therefore, everybody else in this institution that works for this institution or got their this degree from this institution or all the work that all the people put into that institution is being disrespected. And you are not allowed to do that. You are not allowed to make this be whatever green means in the world. Mm. They didn't do that at all. And mm. like a, a proper... I would, I would say, like, I'm sorry, I don't mean like a woman can't do this, but like a proper, strong, authoritative, not authoritarian, but authoritative voice to call everything into order. There was a, 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 a mixing of that. And I think that you could like tell some union kind of story out of that. But um, yeah, I, I do see that if, if you want to cast the, the ways in which males and females acted in, in that environment, you see you see a very interesting mix of, of uh, fatherhood and motherhood kind of gone wrong. The culture broke down. Right. This is actually a perfect segue over to what else I wanted to talk to you about, which was the masculine and the feminine. Hmm. <laughs> now, I think that because of their presence in, in story and in, in narration, like that's, 
Yeah. I, it seems like, oh, that's kind of an, a random thing to tag on, but I don't think it's tagged on. And you kind of explained it earlier about how they're so deep and fundamental yeah. for telling a story. Yeah. And for a story, yeah, for sure, man. Right. Bill, make, make me an epic without men, men and women. Do it. I, I will I will concede you the viability of non-binary gender ideology if they can make a freaking awesome epic without one. If they can make a cultural relic that people live their entire lives out of, you know, like on the level of like the Grecian myths or like, you know, like uh, the, the Mahabharata, if they can get if they can get within uh, 5000 yards of the Mahabharata on the power of narrative then I will respect them insofar as they're viable ideology. Like, but without that, you know, I don't think that you can actually build a narrative, but that's what gender is made out of. They're trying to tell a story, but I don't think, I don't think it's a really, I think, I think it's really, really difficult to make an entire uh, cultural framework without the, without a deep understanding of the nature of men and women, because that nature is real. And it, and it unfolds over time with a subtle enough mind or nose for it and enough human experience, you can start to predict behavior based on somebody's sex. Like you, you kind of just know, you know, and, and I think like even in the moment, like in my personal relationships, I always feel differently about a man than a woman. It doesn't matter how masculine or feminine they are. Like I just have a fundamental, um, just a bodily sense. Like it's not even out of my control. I'm not projecting it. Like I just feel differently. Um, I can't ignore that. Like, and if I do ignore that, what am I, what acts, what information am I blocking myself access to? I think that a, I, furthermore, yeah, and this is my other argument. I don't think it's an accurate depiction of the world to say that sex doesn't exist and that gender isn't a very powerful um, force in a cultural uh, context. It's an absolutely powerful force. And, and, and it, and it happens on the level of physical attraction, it, but it also happens in the level of personality and in meaning, in the way that men and women shape their cognitive lives. They find different things valuable, right? Um, and insofar as that there's a pattern of masculine and feminine, I think with a subtle enough hand and with a respectful enough voice, you can speak about realities of human uh, personality in terms of men and women. You can make really deep stories if you say that there was a river god and then there was a queen of the sea, right? Or there was a, a man uh, who was naked under a tree and then all of a sudden he was, he was a man and a woman. And then every the whole world came out of that. And then you have a story that goes to the end of freaking time, right? And then becomes so infectious that it creates the foundation for an entire civilization that's what like 2000 years you know like 3000 years down that story like telling that story to itself and stuff so i think that um okay so i i want i just wanted to make that argument that i think that it's justified to think in terms of male and female and it's actually very fruitful too and i really enjoy it um, because I fall in love with my characters when I tell like a story about a woman and I fall and I really embody uh, my men. Like I really get a personal connection to the characters that I that I relate to through my fiction. Um, and so the constructs that I build are kind of uh, taken out of the constructs that I've consumed, but also the experiences that I have and the ways that I feel towards different people in the world. So the, the, the function of really dwelling inside of a story um, uh, um, prompts you to actually like bring as much of your real life experience into the story. So like something like a novel or something like a really long TV show, you really get 
close to the people inside that story. And that's the, 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 the power of narrative or the, the clue that you're telling a good story is when um, you're inside of it and you're not outside of it. You're not wanting to try to run away. And the weird thing about what people call the postmodernist, um, you know, deconstructionist thing is that um, in, in a certain respect, it was a move to try to exist outside of story by telling stories about stories. It was it, that the, the critical nature of critical theory and, and, and the, that entire discourse, it's all founded on telling stories, but it's telling anti-stories. It's, it's resisting stories. It's, it's turning stories over. It's, it's in a constant process of I, I, iconoclasm. And, and icon making, um, but because when, when you feed a whole bunch of human beings through that sieve, through that activity, it gives rise to a lot of, uh, uh, you know, just um, negative uh, behaviors and negative processes, like mental processes of, of breaking down stories and not really building. Like, like you can err on the side of infinite destruction once you start engaging in the act of constant criticism or telling stories about stories or, or using storytelling as a way of resisting or enforcing your story on the world, um, which was what I, another thing that I studied on top of literature and narrative. It's like, well, how do you break them? How do you build them? Like, I wanted to know both um, because I wanted to do both. Like if you, cause you, like I said, like you can't, a story dies if it's not broken down. Like a character dies if they're not broken down. If there's no hardship, if there's no resistance against the narrative, then you're missing out on a whole bunch of uh, relationships with um, within the story, what we call meaning, mm. um, which I never know what people are talking about when they talk about meaning. I never, ever know that. That's like, that's, it's like a black box of word for me, but I still use it when I have to. It, it, I don't know what it means. I think that, that that's what a lot of people are searching for what that means, what meaning means. So, okay. And there's good and bad ways of going about that. But yes, well, that's, that's what another. We're kind of talking about, right? Yeah, well, that is. And, but I, oh, man, why do you bring it? I want to stay in masculine and feminine because I wanted to ask you more about it. You're going. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to, I usually try to go with my, the direction my guests go, but I'm going to backtrack if that's okay a little bit. Back to. Let's bounce around, Chica. Okay. Can I call you Chica? Yeah, sure. It's cute. Okay. So here's the thing. With regards to feminine, and I know that you got in trouble. I can't remember over exactly the instance, but something about uh, feminine. such old news. It yeah, is. I, I know, but trouble. that's not what I'm I... wanting to highlight. But it's just ironic because I think that you know more about women than I know It was about. so fascinating. I don't. I, so I didn't want to bring that up necessarily, but you, you obviously are reacting to it. So like, do you... You want to talk about I, I it was I, I I interacted with the sacred form so and this is the funny thing and and okay I, I'm talking about a group behavior so I, I'm not talking about an individual but what I did was um, this group was loose, uh, loosely called uh, gender critical feminists right so they're critical of gender they don't think gender exists mm -hmm. and I made a gender a deeply deeply gendered statement and they got they really reacted to that so it definitely does exist i broke an icon or i tread into sacred territory so you can't say oh, i'm gender critical you can't say oh i don't believe in this stuff like no you do you do you do if, if you say you don't then it, you, i'll i'll show you where you do like you, you believe in it right there 
oh, you have because you have a big reaction to it. So insofar as uh, masculine and feminine have a very strong reaction, they they do they, they, because it, it it really informs desire and 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 no, not even desire. Uh, your relationship to your father, your relationship to your mother, your relationship to males and females throughout your life has built your understanding of the world. And insofar as you've been abused by a certain sex, systematically or very deeply in your very beginning, you're going to hold, uh, you know, you're going to have very strong feelings against that group or against that or for or against that. But oh, I think you're always going to have statement. Pre- Is that what you're talking about? No, no, I was talking about something stupid. Oh, okay. I just used the wrong word. Okay. Well, I my... used the word rational. Uh, and they got really irrational you. about it. Don't you love it when your point gets proved for you? So here's the thing. Okay, my getting back to my question. The question, it there are things, because I've listened... You have such big questions. I have I a, get lost in them. I, I know, I... I'm a very curious well, individual. You are. You build a big ground for for you. You you create a really big playground, and then you just set me free in it. You're like, okay, how do you do stories wrong? <laughs> okay. I, I'm sorry. I it's just how I roll, man. No, love it. No, it's awesome. Okay, it's good. so broad. It's okay. your talent. Okay, well, like maybe... your attention is so big that you can just invite that huge amount of roaming around. Yeah. But so, what do you want to know about the masculine? Okay, what, what do you I... want to tell me about them? Well, here's what I, I know. This is the thing, and you might disagree, but I don't think you do. So I've heard you give some stories that you've made up, some fairy tales, some creation narratives. I see the way you speak about women, and yeah. I, I, I feel like you know women better than I know women. Huh. Like, I feel like, and I'll, maybe I'll explain, tendencies of the feminine. Like, that, that, like what, what I'm talking about, the, the, the building blocks mm. of humanity, of story, of narrative, of the beauty, the depth of the meaning of the beauty of the feminine. Like, the wanting to be desired. There's certain truths about the world that you can only ever relate through a certain form of talking, like a certain form of relating. And I use narrative to encode certain attitudes I have toward what I'm writing about. And for whatever reason, one of the things that has always captured and held and changed my attention since since I've been conscious is is females. Like they have engaged my imagination and my feelings and and my my entire uh worldview um and uh commanded my my engagement with every part of me um and i've passed through like major like milestones of my understanding of what it is to be human through my relationship with um with females um but also with males also with males too being one and and living in the world and so i do think that i i I explain male desire too and i don't know if a man would agree with me but i i've had input that men like say okay yeah you you really you really captured what it is to be in that state um so when I talk about something like desire, like the way a woman would be desired, it's not because I understand it. It's because I feel my way through that. I, I grope through a story by projecting through a female character what it would be like to go through that. And that's based on my paying attention 
to females, but also in recreating that in myself by means of my feelings and by means of my empathy into invested into that character. So I have a number of characters that I've been carrying with me for uh, ages now, um, my, like half my life. Like I have this toolkit of characters that um, I built a substantial uh, mythology out of, and uh, they're broken down into very like, like there's three women. Well, I guess four. Okay, there's a number of different women, but they, and they're all kind of different. But like, there's some really deep uh, female icons. So when I went through and I decided to rewrite my rewrite the Bible from the beginning, and I started in Genesis because I really wanted to write the end of time. So I needed a beginning of time or else the end doesn't mean anything. So I had to start all the way. I had to start over. Like when I discovered what I wanted to tell, I had to start all the way at the beginning and it took me a long time. So I had to go backwards and forwards. Anyways, I, I came down to like these very basic uh, female characters. And one of them is this little girl and there's uh, a daughter of Adam and Eve. And there's this, there's this woman that lives in the sea and she's called the death of men and she consumes men. She met so many people. She just keeps on a lot of people die. Like she captures a lot of men. She's really good at that. And like they sing songs about her and it's really difficult to escape. So she's in every story. And then there's this there's this woman who's the adult female um, who uh, I'll just say this plot point. She kills herself. Um, at the beginning of time, she's like the first daughter of Adam and Eve and she kills herself because something really bad happens. I won't tell you now. Um, but, but she is constantly brought back to life and given the choice not to die, not to kill herself. And so this is, I, I have to explain this properly. She suffers throughout all of time. Like she, she experiences suffering throughout every age. And, and so I've, I've made a lot of um, uh, fiction, or I've imagined a lot about a woman who's really, uh, who, who really pays attention to the world because because it, it's breaking her like, or, or like there's this, you know, I, I study I, and, and I use that character to really reach into deep emotions that I've experienced, like, like really deep emotions that I don't have a name for that, that have really, um, captured me or held me or, or informed what reality is about, you know? Um, and, and then I've, I played a, around a lot with the relationship between a man and woman, because I think that that the relationship in, in stories, just like the relationship of destroying the world is like that one of the principal functions of, of discovering what a man or a woman is made of is to, is to cause them to be absolutely attentive to each other, like absolutely completely absorbed with one another, like in a cataclysmic way, just like they absolutely intersect and they really, uh, and in that intersection, in that, in that paying attention to each other, like they, they develop or they, they realize something that's very deep about what it is to be a man, what it is to be a father, what it is to, to, to interact in the world in that, in that entire way of, of being given life and being driven by that desire to give new life. And then, and then the secret of the woman, the secret of the woman is what is it to give birth? What crazy, impossible to describe question is that? Like, how would you ever solve, like, what is that? Like, that doesn't happen by your conscious will, your entire being is is caught up in that and 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 just imagining the 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 power of 
being able to to take a man and turn him into men like it you know like what is what is that you i've know, done like, it i have three men yeah and that's like <laughs> if, if you can like like that's one of the best stories to tell because it happens all the time but like it's foundational you know so um so i guess I, to not uh, to not answer your question again insofar as i tell a story that gives a woman insight into what it is to be a woman it comes from listening a just really listening to that state. Um, th that's just where it comes from. Like, I don't, I don't make it up, but I don't not make it up. I, I just, I listen to it and I follow along and I usually write a poem about it or like I tell a story, you know, like of love or, or loss or like I, I, I interact with it in an emotional uh, narrative way, but like, but it, it's using all those tricks of narrative to really get close to a state of being. And, and I don't know. Women are huge riddles to me. Like, but I don't know why. If if I was right, I I I can't I can't I can't take ownership for for giving you any understanding of what it is to be a woman. Like, I can't even give you. Uh, I can't even be certain that I'm giving any information that's accurate as to what it is to be a man. So, like, if if it resonates with you, it's purely on accident. It's not something that I willed into being. It comes from an act of having a relationship, a deep relationship, to a concept, to to. Which is not, which is a collection of experience re-embodied in, in a female uh, vessel, and and just reinventing a female um, in an act of pseudo discovery, like recreating that act of like falling in love, which is just this act of of discovery. Um, but when you create a fictional woman, it, it, it's different, but it's similar to discovery. Okay, I yeah. I've decided uh, the reason I I mean you've explained it, but I'm gonna recap i think Please. that you're because this is from from things i've spoken about with you about attention in the past um i think you're a very observant individual i think you observe and you place people and ideas and concepts together because you're you're using them for your art for your stories that you're writing so you I, have to know something i, pra about I, pra the world. I practiced on all all that fiction is practice for you know like i practice on that but i yeah interesting i could be wrong but i i mean i don't think i am the way that you you relay the experience of man and woman and i'm not paying i'm sorry i'm not paying attention to your description of the masculine because i that's not what i'm i'm concerned you got enough of it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's true i'm not concerned about it because well i've also seen it in the hero's journey over and over again that's not what captivates me what captivates me yeah. about your your the, the stories you write you you don't only do a hero necessarily you're, you're no, you can't build a good story without it but you give you breathe life into the the, the feminine I'll, no, I'll tell you more this. than what i've seen okay so I, I wanted to be a writer first okay my first experience with writing was when i was 14. And I had a crush on, I had this super, it was like one of my first super crush. It was just crazy. Like I just walked around just like totally obsessed with this girl in my youth group. Like, and I talked to her for like three hours a day, you know? And like, I was her like little pet, like younger, like, you know, freshman. And she was a junior or whatever, you know, but I was just totally just possessed with her, like totally possessed. And at the same time I was taking a creative writing uh, course, you know, and I had always like liked writing, you know, but like, 
I, I found that I could take words and I could concentrate the feeling that I had to her and like make them stronger, like by expressing them, mm. like, like by that action, that act of like, like singing about them or like, you know, making a poem. And it was really, really bad poetry, you know, but I was able, I, but I discovered that I was taking the feeling that I had and like, and I was manipulating it kind of like a drug addict. And, and mm. she convinced me that that like I shouldn't like her and then I just started liking her friend and I did the whole thing and I just kept on like going through and like having these complete possess just completely possessed like like for my entire high, high school career with 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 no not the entire but like I went through a very uh, big phase of just like being completely invested in women like it was a, just this huge part of my life I don't know I, I think that I, I think that I'm sure that girls go through a part of their life of their development where they're boy crazy I'm sure that it's just like kind of a biological thing we're just like I, I was so I was really romantic right I really existed in that in that level Okay. And, um, and, 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 okay. So, but eventually I, I kind of started getting over myself. You know, I, I kind of like, I, I kind of realized that, that I wasn't actually creating anything. I was just expressing something, hoping that that expression would have an effect in the world. Right. I was just trying to use my art to replicate. I w first I was using the art to, to uh, play around with my emotions, but, but then I realized that in order for it to be really valuable, it would have to actually interact with other people's uh, emotions. Like it actually had to serve other people. Like, so I could write you a letter. Um, but like, if it didn't do anything for you, then why the fuck did I write you a letter? So I really, you know, had to understand what a woman wants in order to write her a letter that she would really, really read, like, like totally just like completely read. And like, I have like an embarrassing amount some of them get pretty good. Like I, I, I stopped and like, like I had like two major love affairs that happened through writing and one, I, I haven't read them all, but like there's a box of letters like, and I was, uh, it was, it really captures a certain phase of my, of my development as a writer. Um, but I was really coming into really grappling and, and there was a lot of, it was, there was a lot more than just um, my feelings for the woman in there. It was me like really wrestling with like, who am I? And, uh, and what is life? And I was really struggling with depression. Like I was, I was breaking down constantly. I was like finding myself in showers crying. Like I was just like really filled with anger and emotion and depression. Like, and, uh, so all that stuff, like I had a very emotional, uh, you know, uh, life, uh, <laughs> until I stopped feeling things. Um, but, but my, <laughs> okay. So, so the, but but in my in my maturation as a writer and like going from being a poet to being somebody who's journaling to go, being somebody who really wants to create something um, for other people, something that somebody could pick up that didn't know me and just completely like be blown away by. Mm. And in order for me to do that, I would have to really believe in what I'm writing. If I want to recreate that power of emotion, I have to invest that emotion into the page. And, you know, how, what are the emotions that I, that I know that I want to replicate that I know will really touch people. So I spent a lot of time, like really paying attention to what other people pay attention to, you know, like, and, and really examining how my behavior or my attention has an effect on other people's behavior or how, how their power of personality affects the people's attention around them, you know? And, and, um, if I want to, if I want to create something new, I really have to understand what's already done and like really pay heed to it and play around with that stuff. And so I took, um, and, and I think that I just have a hard time paying attention to one thing 
at the same time. So I started playing around with a lot of different genres. I, I did science fiction, I did horror, I did fantasy, I did myth. I, I just went in all these different directions. But um, so I was always losing the reader and losing myself unless I was talking about the same thing, just in a different voice, right? And kind of kind of taking the concept of a genre or like a, a world space, you know, like future, past, like, and, and, and uh, you know, you know, I to told a lot of stories within stories. You know, if you have something happening in 19, you know, 1999, and then the guy in 1999 starts talking about something that happened in the Middle Ages, like, like you know, like you you just go into a different scene. Mm -hmm. But like you, in order for the attention of people to follow into that other scene, it would have to be built out of a building block that would carry over, but be redressed. And therefore you just have the concept of an actor and actresses going through different, like just kind of different sets. Right. And so I, I walked up and down these different characters, males and females, um, through these different sets, but you know, in the distillation of really like trying to like get to the root of a good, uh, good moment in a story, you want to really talk about somebody going through a really intense moment, right? So you, you, you use narrative to construct a reason why somebody would go through a very intense moment and then use narrative to express that moment. So I'm trying to, you know, I'm using the narrative to convey uh, the emotion, but then the, and the, and the emotion comes through expressing the emotion. And that's why all, I'm, I'm not going to release anything until it, it has a poetic structure in it. It has a, a, a musicality to it. It, 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 the, the story is actually, I'm playing like a song about these things. Everything's a song and the, the language, the way that things come across, like is, 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 uh, like on the narrative structure, but also in the way that it, that it sounds, the way that it feels, like the way that it's expressed, um, is, is, is something that really is embodied like on every level and really rings inside the imagination of other people. So you really have to, you know, in a way convince somebody of what you're convinced of. So I have to convince myself that the woman that I'm talking about is a woman in order to convince you that it's a woman. And insofar as you like get caught up into that, like it expands on your idea of yourself because you went through that experience too. It's like, I'm giving you a memory. I'm upgrading your, uh, your experience of being a woman. Um, in, in a way, in, in just in a narrative way, um, because I, I, I poked certain buttons and I don't do it intentionally. I, I try not to do it intentionally. I just try to feel my way through it because I don't want to actually manipulate anybody. I want to really just, you know, do that process of merging with somebody's imagination and, and giving them something that it just informs them and they live through and, and, you know, like it becomes a part of their idea of what the world is made out of, you know, basically. So... Okay. No, it's it's just a lot to take in. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm 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 just filling up your head with all these word games of mine, aren't I? No. Well, I've wondered this for a while, and I've wanted to ask you, but it's I've sort of tried to think about why I don't know these things in the first place. And <laughs> like, how does he know and I don't know? <laughs> You know, and, and so I've, it's sort of like I'm getting my answer finally, and it's like, oh, I have yeah. to process it. So. Yeah, yeah. I, what, what, I guess what I'm doing is just I'm processing stuff that I've been thinking about. But I've, it, it's also pretty unorganized because I haven't been thinking about this stuff for three years. Like, I guess I thought a lot about this stuff, but I haven't talked a lot about it. So it's kind of I'm reprocessing it live. So no, it's not no, clean. yeah. No, I'm, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about this because – 
not just this particular topic of male and female, but about um, your degree and your knowledge of narrative. You... I've invested a lot of time into it. Yeah. And, and it's not that I'm not trying to take away from your evergreen work at all. Like it's very... Oh, no, no, I'm glad. Like, I mean, I talked about it just as like as a reference of a story that we can understand what, as an example, but I don't want to tell the story again. I know, no, and, and, and I've talked to you be about free. evergreen before too. Like, so it's yeah. not that it's... Um, so I appreciate I appreciate another... the adventure. Well, good, because I I um I've moved on from um, the culture wars. Yeah. <laughs> Not completely, but I I found I've I found the idea of narrative and meaning. I find that so much more interesting, yeah. <laughs> and that's why I wanted. To, I, I feel like you have you're a resource that's untapped. You're you're you oh. tap some parts with your evergreen yeah. information. And like, yeah. literally, you, you are a witness. You're a student from there. So I do understand you know, why. But you, you have another space that has, is untapped. There's an audience there. So I was thrust into it. I was thrust into it. Um, and I tried to make the most of it. It's um, how you were found. You know. It's how and, you were found. And I still, you know, I still play with it. I still play with it, you know. But, like, the, the real game is a couple layers deep. You know, like the real the real stuff is convincing people to sit through an hour and a half interview with like a premier researcher on like this really little known concept of why American teenagers are falling off the cliff into hormone therapy. You know, like like really real conversations that are like over over here, you know, mm -hmm. but like it's it's loosely you have to use the culture war to get there because it has to be relevant to the moment, right? Mm -hmm. The culture war, broadly speaking, is is the rowdy noise, right? But like there's so much stuff that you have to kind of like, it's like you're catching fishermen, you know, like you're like, oh, look at the whale down there. And then you grab them and you bring them down to the second level of the iceberg. But I understand that it's just like if you live up there the whole time, there's no substance up there. It's all emotion. It's all argument. There's people just being nasty and mean to each other. And it's like I can be nasty and mean, but I don't want to be all the time. You know? I don't even like being nasty and mean some of the time. Well, I want to be clever at least. So I think that's okay. that's what I wanted to know. Those are I've had a few things so we we participated in a mutual exploration i appreciate the the opportunity okay. Thanks, thank you for chatting with me benjamin a boyce did i do it right that's how you like to you be did it so well. no you don't have to okay ben kenobi thanks for chatting with me bye uh, oh bye